Awesome. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, worship team. And uh, <laughs> if you're wondering why I am a little wet, um, it's because I didn't bring a second shirt, though I knew there was a baptism today. Uh, so <laughs> I'm still wearing the wet shirt <laughs> that was from first service. So you guys will forgive that and uh, hopefully be able to look past me in a wet shirt as it continues to dry. And good morning, guys. Uh, glad, glad uh, we are here to celebrate and gather another Sunday together. Um, Lord's Day, right? Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, and we celebrate that 2,000 years later on this day that we believe he rose on Sunday. And so a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, for us around here, we're some beggars that have found some bread and want to share it with everyone. And, uh, and so uh, coming up in our specific context in the Wisconsin area, um, I, I don't think we don't see the Bible mandating voting. Uh, it's not a, a mandate for the follower of Christ, uh, but we are sojourners in this world. That's how Peter describes our experience. We're exiles and we're sojourners. And, and yet we are planted. We're planted in a space, in, in a community. And so in our community, there's a, a big issue that, uh, that is coming up. One of the issues uh, for the Supreme Court uh, justice, uh, I would encourage you, we would encourage you to, to exercise uh, your role as a citizen to, to vote. And for us around here, um, one of the organizations we support wholeheartedly is CareNet, a, uh, a pro-life organization that supports moms uh, that might be wrestling with a decision in their life. And so... That is one of the issues that is coming up. And so uh, as you look ahead to voting, again, I think this is a really big deal that has implications for us uh, as we keep moving forward. Another thing that's coming up is, uh, is the trellis and the vine, uh, a building God's way update. Um, for us, we are all about vine growth, the spiritual development that's taking place in our lives. And so we're asking the question, God, what are you inviting us into? And, uh, and so for us, uh, that means considering some work on the trellis, which is our space and ministry structures. And so on March 16th, 19th, or 21st, I'd encourage you uh, to participate in one of those three, to show up and just hear from our campus development team uh, and some, uh, some of our elders and staff just what we believe God might be inviting us into in the days ahead as we desire to be this hub for gospel proclamation here in the community we're planted. And, uh, and so we're in Luke, and, and I hope <laughs> uh, that you have been wrestling with, as I have, just some of the, the weight of these teachings coming at this time as we land in the Sermon on the Plain. And so uh, if you want to text some questions to 888-824-1608, text JOIN, and just ask some questions that might be bubbling up in your heart uh, around these ideas. And uh, last week, we talked about what it meant to love your enemies. And so one of the questions that came through from a few was, well, what if I don't have any enemies? <laughs> what am, I, am I doing something wrong? What if I don't have any enemies? The encouragement is that doesn't prevent you from continuing to love those in your life, to continue to love and move forward and let down your nets to all those around you. And to invite others into life with Christ. That is the call to be everyday missionaries week in, 
week out around here. And then a few other questions that I think might get answered as we go in this morning because we're heading into that element of judging others and a tree and its fruits. And, uh, and so we're entering into this text, judge not. And, and those that have yet to treasure Christ, uh, tell me about this verse. They know Luke 6. They know what it means, or they know, they've heard the words. But the question is, do they know what it means? And so we're going to work together to understand, uh, I think, a, f- a fairly familiar text. Even to those that have yet to treasure Christ, they know Luke 6. Do not judge me. But we're asking, what is Jesus saying? What is he calling us to? What is he calling others to? And so... Uh, let's read the text together, and then, uh, and then we will dive in. And it starts in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the beam, the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye for no good tree. And then, and then he gives this, this call to assess and bear fruit. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruits. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. For the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we're always looking. What's that big idea that Luke, that Jesus is calling us to? Big ideas are more important than little ideas. And so here's where I think we're headed. But as we get into this, Jesus has made it clear. Those who treasure him, those who enjoy his kingdom are empowered too. And and you can imagine each subpoint is a big idea because there's a lot here. Um, and yet, instead of doing Luke in four years, we're only doing it in two and a half for these reasons where we're shoving a few texts into, into one Sunday morning to which I went, man, four years sounded so good. But I'm imagining for many of you, that does not sound as good. And so one of our staff members uh, reminds me of that often. And she says, yes, you're welcome, Hillcrest, for not a four-year series in Luke. But here's the four ideas that we're looking into. Love, those, those that treasure Jesus, those who enjoy his kingdom are empowered to love all others, including their enemies and part of loving others. It's not judging them. And we carefully evaluate those we are being shaped by following and leading, including this environment. You hear me often say, test this. And then we intentionally assess how we're expressing our ongoing spiritual transformation in order to lovingly stand and then develop a grid, a framework for actually and accurately producing Jesus' fruit in our lives. So pray with me and uh, we, will, we will walk through, we'll walk through this text together. God, you're so good. We just want to hear from you through your word. Whatever noise is bombarding us this week, clear our thoughts, clear our minds so we can more fully hear your teaching and apply it in meaningful ways this week. 
Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. So we're going to do a brief look back. If you weren't here last week, just want to catch you up on, on this love your enemies call. Love others, including our enemies, and part of loving others is not judging them. Last week, he gave this call, love your enemies. Well, who are those? Who are those people? It's not, Jesus isn't saying those we don't like. <laughs> this isn't a call to assess, well, how do I love those I don't like? If there are people we don't like, that, that's a personal thing we need to wrestle with and go, well, what's in my heart that's causing and bubbling this, this dislike for others? Instead, our enemies, as Jesus was telling us, are those who take joy in diminishing our joy. He told us, uh, he told us, um, uh, for the one who takes away uh, and, and those who hate you, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. What is that? Those who take joy in diminishing our joy. Those people that might be opposed to the joy in Christ we'd want to share. And so what might it mean to love our enemies? This is just a lot of ad, added words here, but we happily work to increase the joy of those whose joy would be to in, be increased if our joy was diminished. Did you follow that? We, we happily work for others' good, for others' joy, though they are actually finding joy in diminishing ours. We happily work for their good. Love your enemies. Now, where in the world could that come from? He tells us, thank you. Well done. He tells us, be merciful even as your father is merciful. The only way that type of love can, can get expressed from our life is, is when God's mercy is experienced more fully, and it inevitably flows to showing mercy to our enemies. And these aren't just a smattering of ideas, a bunch of Proverbs. I think Luke, we're, we're just assuming Luke's a smart guy, and he's organizing these ideas. So this very next text flows on the heels of that. Here's what he says. So judge not. Show mercy as your heavenly father has shown mercy to you. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. And so what is that? What, what is, if, if you tried to put a definition to judging, what is that? And, and so as, as it resonates, what does it mean to not judge? Arrogantly, condescendingly from a position of presumed superiority and self-righteousness, making appraisals of people and situations taking the place of God and, and putting this arrogant presupposition on how life ought to be lived, though you might actually have some accurate grid, there's a place where you've now condescendingly entered into that. I, I hesitated. I did, ended up not doing it. But I, I hesitated of wearing a suit this morning. Because I just wondered how many people might potentially go, wow, David, you, you look nice today. You should wear this a little more often. And others who might have said, what are you doing wearing a suit, right? And, and the thing that just wells up in our heart, right? Elevator eyes, you're like, man, just assessing and, and then entering in to judge someone's character based upon what you see. So I want to give a little preview, right? We'll talk about this a little bit later. But he's not saying, don't be honest. Don't make wise assessments. Don't make evaluations. Well, We'll talk about what it means that he is describing this level of evaluation. We'll get there later, but I want to preview it now. Humbly, not arrogantly, respectfully, not condescendingly, is one who stands only by God's grace and mercy, not from a position of presumed superiority and self-righteousness, do we then make assessments. 
And so what is that difference? When he says, do not judge a familiar text, what is the difference he's trying to draw out for us? And so I want to put up that grid because extremes always help me. A few weeks ago, we talked about the Sabbath and practicing the Sabbath. But sometimes in our desire to practice a law, we start becoming hedge protectors and to protect the very thing, the essence of what God desires, we start building all these layers and care more about the rules. Or we swing to the other extreme where we just disregard these healthy practices and we abuse liberty. So what would it then look like on this spectrum of judging? The extreme for me is condemning. <laughs> I mean, that, that hard posture of just extreme condemnation heaped on someone else from a place of superiority and arrogance with no hint of God's grace at all. Moving a little closer, I'm using the word from the text, judging, right? That, that, there's that that air of superiority as if in you're in the place of God. And, and maybe there's a recognition of, of God, but oh, it's, it seems to be mostly coming from, I have it more figured out. On the other extreme, there's this place of tolerance. <laughs> maybe you've been in, in, a, in, a, in a staff environment or in your neighborhood, and, and there's been that bubbling in your heart that maybe I should say something about this issue, but, but, but you, you choose not to. Instead of calibrating, you withhold it and, and almost tolerate what's taking place. Or even further, you've swung to the other extreme, which feels like this unholy acceptance, where now you're just fully embracing and accepting whatever might be taking place. I was in a conversation recently with some people, and uh, and and. <laughs> We were discussing just, just broadly human sexuality, and, uh, and, and I, was, I, was, I was affirming, I was agreeing that I don't get excited when people condemn people's behaviors rather than drawing people to Jesus, which led them to believe that I was accepting and agreeing to which I said, man, I look at Jesus and I see what Jesus does with the woman at the well. He calls out what's going on in her heart. And then he proclaims to her, go and sin no more. Right? He says, this, this, this is not what's good for your life. To which they responded, you're not Jesus. And I said, I know my wife tells me that all the time. But that might be another issue. We're trying to, we're trying to navigate what that healthy Christian perspective between those two extremes might be expressed as. So where, where does your heart and mind go? Which part of that pendulum might you find yourself on as we keep navigating what it means to reflect Jesus' teaching, not to judge, and yet he's not saying don't make healthy, wise assessments. Here's where my mind goes. We believe God, there is a God, and he is a righteous judge. There's a drift in progressive Christianity to eliminate God's wrath. There is a guy that will judge us. <laughs> and and I, I then... In return, sometimes we'll begin looking around and judging others. And I mean, because you look around and there are liars, cheaters, pagans in this world that just at the drop of a hat, they leave us. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're just going to go play for another team. What are they doing? What are they doing? Have you guys heard this news yet? It's in the works. I mean, what, 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 kind, of, what kind of guy would do that to us? I mean, just a liar and a cheater, right? What's going on? And yet the call 
is to what? It says, don't judge. And so in my mind, in other texts, not here, in other texts, not here, my mind could go, well, I, I don't judge because God will judge in the end. Is that what Jesus says here? Here's what he says. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The, the, the mercy of God is running over. It will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What's he saying? It's not actually that God will judge them someday, but rather what? To the degree you understand how merciful God has been with you is going to be the degree that you demonstrate love to those around you. The greater awareness and the measure to which you understand how much you've been forgiven gets expressed directly correlated to the way you demonstrate this love to those around you, even to your enemies, even to those who would wish you harm. This overwhelming gratitude for what God has done in our lives. So we love all others, including our enemies. As part of loving others is not judging them. And then he begins to move forward where we carefully evaluate those who are being shaped by, following, and those that we're leading. Here's what he says. He continues on flowing from that do not judge. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. I think a general principle we understand in life, right? Life is caught, not taught. We're following somebody, what they're modeling, what they're living. And Jesus picks up on that reality. We will go where those we are following take us. Not, not that there might become a day when, when we grow towards maturity and, and there is a, a movement past someone who might be teaching us. Don't hear me say that's not ever the case. But there's this general capacity of who, who's influencing us. Who, who are the voices and the, and the ideas that we're letting shape us? It's why we often say up here, test this. When we're sharing something here, it's why we put the words of the text on the screen. When we open our Bibles, I want you to wrestle, not with what I'm saying, but with what God is saying. These aren't ultimately my words. These are the words that we're seeing from the text. And then here's the heavy part for me. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The idea that those we are following, if they're going in a dangerous direction, we too will end up in big trouble. And so I just, I just want to ask a few evaluative questions just right in the middle of this flow of do not judge. Because what does it appear the immediate application might be of those who we might be following? Where might they be leading us? <laughs> it seems towards or away from loving our enemies and judging. So who am I following? What, what, what am I allowing to be a... A voice is the Instagram influencer speaking into my heart more than the biblical ideas. than the words of Jesus, am I allowing the TikTok influencer to speak and form my heart and mind? 
Who am I following? And then the question is, as I follow them, are they expressing Jesus-empowered, ongoing spiritual transformation? Do I look at their life and I see this growth of, love, of loving their enemies in their life? Do I see this movement of spiritual formation that, that is, is growing? Who, who are those people? And what messages, what ideas are you being shaped by? And then the second, who's following me? Who's following you? And your mind might go to, well, I'm, I'm not a missionary. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a life group leader. But you might be a spouse, a parent, co-worker, a neighbor. Who might be following what you're embodying? And then what's the inevitable question? Are they seeing Jesus-empowered, ongoing spiritual transformation in your life? As they observe your life, what are they seeing? What are they seeing, Andrea? That's the problem with sitting in the front row, right? Man. What are they seeing? And then in the back row, they just all thought, ooh, yeah, we're, we're safe back here. Not the case, guys. Not the case. Are they seeing Jesus' empowerment in my life? of this growth and transformation. And what's the context again? <laughs> Love your enemies. <laughs> and don't judge because of the mercy we've experienced. Are we seeing that? Third, we'll keep moving. Love all others, including our enemies. And part of loving others is not judging them, but we do carefully evaluate who, who are we being shaped by? And what are we embodying as we live? And then intentionally assess how we're expressing our ongoing spiritual transformation in order to lovingly stand. Again, a familiar text. You've probably heard it before. Judge not, you will not be judged. And then verse 41. So why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Sometimes <laughs> we want to be off the hook <laughs> to say, see, you can't actually speak anything into my life. See, don't, don't, don't say anything about my life. Take the log out of your own. And, and we read that. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own? And, and the question then becomes is, so don't judge. <laughs> we don't judge from this air of superiority but the text doesn't stop with assess the log in your eye. It keeps going. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you can see clearly. <laughs> so we reflect on that chart. We reflect where our heart might be in this spectrum. And then what does he encourage us to do? As he say, don't offer any help towards that speck that's eating away at someone's eye. Does he say that? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly in order to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. And so we assess our heart. We, we, we're not judging from this air of superiority. We, we understand the mercy we've received. We, we, we long to experience more of that. And then we do evaluate. 
We, we look at circumstances from a place of humility and respect as one who stands only by God's grace, making an assessment of people and situations. So I, I want to offer a criteria. How, how might I know when to enter into that? I, I mean, and these people in my life, in these different spheres, how, how do I know when to enter into one of these circumstances? I want to offer three criteria uh, on when you might move forward in that context. The first, how significant of an issue is it? And some of you guys, you're like a 10 for every single issue, right? I mean, there's no, there's no variance. It's like, this is the most important thing in the world. You know what really drives me nuts? <laughs> I'm usually one of the last to roll in. I turn off the lights. And then I look downstairs and I see one of the basement lights on. Just drives me absolutely insane, right? I'm like, how significant of an issue is this? This is like essential. The basement light's on, right? I mean, this is the most important thing. What am I going to do? I'm going to go scream at someone for leaving the basement light on. Maybe I could evaluate how significant of an issue is this? Second. How deep is the relationship? How well do I know the person? Because we're not talking about a they, right? We're not talking about this abstract person that I saw on social media sometime or in the newsfeed. Who are the people in my life? And what's the depth of relationship that I share with them? And sometimes, sometimes the significance of the issue supersedes the depth of relationship. Sometimes because of how significant the issue might be in your life, you might choose to compromise on the depth of relationship because of something you just feel this person needs to hear. And so you still enter in God's mercy, God's grace. He, he's, he saved me and, and I don't know you as well, but I see something that, that is detrimental for your life and I need to enter in. And, and, and calibrating. And then this third criteria for me, is, is a big one. Significance of issue, depth of relationship, how, how well might someone receive that feedback that I'm going to provide? Maybe they have no ability to receive it. But for the depth of issue and level of relationship, I'm going to enter in even if they have an inability to receive this because I care so deeply. Uh, for me, one of the issues that I get invited into often is the beauty and privilege of officiating weddings. And uh, for me, there's a criteria, and I, and I walk through that criteria, and I, I, don't, I often say, I, I know you wouldn't want me to compromise my value system, my criteria. And so I won't officiate weddings between two people that don't treasure Jesus, or, or sorry, I should phrase that. If two people don't treasure Jesus, I'll officiate as a friend, but but I won't officiate one where someone claims to treasure Jesus and the other party doesn't. And so, and so that came up when a friend of mine asked me to officiate their wedding and, and I, uh, that conversation came up and I, and I said no. And uh, essentially cut me out of his life for a significant amount of time, close friend I'd say. And, uh, and years later, don't hear me say this always happens. Years later, came back, and, and we got to reconcile and restore this friendship and recounted this circumstance. 
How significant is the issue that you care about between condemnation and unholy acceptance, judging and tolerance? We are longing to find that expression of what Jesus means, do not judge. How deep is the relationship? We, as followers of Christ, are constantly letting down our nets, developing relationships, getting to know people in our life. And sometimes I'm just not sure someone's able to hear some of the encouragement. We lovingly stand. And so we recognize other specs first is probably not the best way to go forward. But much like that call to action on every plane I've ever been on, put on your own mask before helping others. Self-examination is critical because Jesus does long for us to help others as an essential component of expression of our faith. Not simply avoiding our enemies, (laughs) but actually loving our enemies. And so... We love others, including our enemies. We carefully evaluate those we're being shaped by. We intentionally assess how we're expressing this ongoing transformation to lovingly stand, which ideally then lands us in this place where we have a grid, a framework, because we want to accurately produce Jesus' fruit in our life. And that's where he lands in this part. Judge not and you will not be judged. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Why do you take the speck out of your brother's eye? Verse 43 For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked up from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I I think we understand it intuitively. Each tree is known by its fruits. And so... We understand this to be an orange tree. It has oranges on it. Um, we're teaching Eden some words right now. Her, her favorite color is yellow. So if you asked Eden uh, what your favorite color is, she'd say yellow. And if you said, hey, what color is that? She would say yellow. And so we're trying to broaden her vocabulary on colors. No, babes, that's, that's orange. And, uh, and then just like we know a tree by its fruits, we understand it's an apple tree. Just intuitive, right? Out of, the, out of a tree, it bears its fruit. And so Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And so if that's the call to assess and produce, how do we produce fruit? That's the question my mind goes to. How, how do we do that? And I want to offer some it appears from the text some, some inaccurate expressions of that. The first one is, is, is this. I don't care. Just do it. Just produce fruit. I don't care. I don't care what you're feeling. Just do it. Just produce fruit. We talked about this last week. Thinking leads to feeling leads to doing. And some might say, I don't care what you feel like. Just do it. Just produce the fruit. Just do it. Here's how that seems to come across is if I observed an apple tree and willed it to produce fruit, it feels like it's just slapping stickers of fruit on the tree. Not stemming from the heart as we see in verse 42, but rather uh, a desire to just add stickers of fruit. I hope around here we don't shoot on people. That we don't say you ought to do this and you should do this, but rather from the good in our heart, it produces fruit. 
Second, we see a good treasure of his heart produces good. What would that wrong approach to producing fruit look like? Have you heard of something called the debtor's ethic? Does that feel like a familiar phrase? Where you're paying someone back for what they did? We think about this sometimes around Christmas. If someone gives us a Christmas gift that we weren't anticipating, we feel in our hearts, I have to pay them back. Some salespeople prey on this type of mentality that if I did something for you, you need to do something for me. Is that the gospel? Are we paying God back? No. Instead, out of his mercy and grace, he showered me with his love. And so what do we do? I don't pay him back in the future. Instead, I just look ahead and go, I'm going to be a knucklehead in the future. And God, by your grace, you've paid for that one too. We don't pay God back. Instead, we keep experiencing a fuller expression of his grace. And then, man, it feels like sometimes in the Western evangelical church, we manipulate emotions to force something. And pure pressure into people expressing, I hope in this space, if you're coming in and, and, and you're wrestling, man, is Jesus who he said he is? Is he good? I hope you can bring all yourself here in this community and we keep moving forward. Not out of pure pressure, but out of genuine uh, joy producing grace in our heart. Ah, So what would it look like? What is the only God glorifying approach? Anyone want to take a stab? Come on. Yeah, that's it. Out of the love that we've experienced, out of the mercy we've experienced, we express that mercy because of what we've experienced, because of what has been uh, formed in our own souls. The more we understand that reality, the deeper we feel and experience that and the more we express that reality. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. So what's the inevitable expression? Our experience of God's mercy is what inevitably empowers us to show this mercy that is so counterintuitive, that is so upside down. And so the call to action relentlessly has been this. What are those fruits? Where is my heart? If we went fruit to root, and some guy in first service, he was like a botanist, and he was like coming up to me and saying, hey, David, do you know that when you plant an apple seed, the apple actually produces other varieties? And I'm like, Ugh. all the illustrations. Illustrations ultimately don't go beyond a certain scope of meaning, range of meaning. Fruit to root. The ultimate thing we're trying to say is if Jesus has changed our hearts, we begin expressing these things. We think differently. We do good to those who hate us. We bless those who oppose us. We don't demand back. We do for others what we want done for us. We lend without expectations. Before removing specks, we begin inspecting ourselves. And so there's been this call to action through Luke 1.4. Every week, every day, Luke, when he started his letter, told Theophilus, I'm writing this so that you would have certainty. Certainty in the person and work of Christ. And so at 104, at least for me, I don't know about you, I, I seem to be reminded at 104, there seems to always be a situation where I could experience this a little bit more fully. <laughs> Leaving lights on in a small way, big things, 
in conversations in public and social spaces. And so we ask, God, what are you inviting me into today? We let down our nets. We pray with desperate dependence for the people all around that we hope will find life and joy and trust in Christ, that they would experience the mercy. And how would they experience that? Because of the mercy we've experienced that we share with others. And so we tell many gospel stories. There was a conversation this past week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, um, when uh, we were talking about Sabbath. And uh, someone was talking about eliminating a day from their work week so that they would only work six instead of seven. I, I affirmed that. I said, man, isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, God created the world in seven days. Seventh day, six days, seventh, he rested. Did he need the rest? No, but he modeled for us. Isn't it a good thing that you then can rest as well? What are we doing in that moment? Telling many gospel stories in your Monday to Saturday. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up. And here has been our prayer in this section of Luke. God, help me to listen closely to your teaching so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you invite me into today. That's been our prayer. When Jesus says, don't judge, when he says, be merciful as your heavenly father has been merciful, do these words begin to land on our heart? And what do they produce in our soul that causes us to feel and then to act in a certain way? So I want to read the words one more time. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you're inviting me into today. May I pray that over us as we continue. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, your work, your transformative work in our souls. Help us to continue to be reshaped as we follow you. Help us to assess our heart, our, our motives, and then may we appropriately evaluate and step in for the good of others to demonstrate this mercy we received. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.